Growing up, my oldest brother, Heinz, was my idol. He had long flowing hair, a floor to ceiling cupboard packed with vinyls, masterfully played his guitar for hours each day, and brought home colorful friends. He was a man of strong convictions. His music was, and still is, everything to him. He broke conventions when they stood in his way. When a well-meaning friend of my dad's offered him a thousand Swiss francs if he cut his hair, he refused. He went to jail for eight months for refusing to hold a gun during his mandatory service in the Swiss Army. The law of the guitar goes against the law of the gun, he firmly declared in front of the military court. He refused to sign with a label that will tell him what to play and what to wear. I admired his focus, his unwavering dedication to his principles, his iron convictions. People make all kinds of sacrifices for their goals. My brother-in-law, a professional downhill skier, gave everything, including racing with a broken rib, to win a World Cup uh, race. We can focus our life on winning earthly treasures, trophies and medals that later sit in boxes in a garage. But there is one ultimate and eternal prize to win that will never rust or fade or become irrelevant. It's not a thing. It's not a position. It's a relationship. It's what we were made for, to know God and to make him known. The verses we focus on today speak of the Apostle Paul's hardships in his ministry, yet they ooze with fierce devotion and deep love for Christ, no matter what. Paul is basically saying following Christ is not an easy road to travel, but it is worth it all. Sorrow, yes, but oh, the joy. Poor, yes, but oh, the riches to share. Having nothing, yes, but in truth, possessing everything. He was single-minded focused on one thing only, his eyes firmly on his beloved Savior, who had rescued him from murderous hate and misguided devotion into victorious love. For him and for his service, Paul would endure anything, and ultimately a martyr's death, only to be ushered into the arms of the one he loved more than anything. Focus is not the point here. Who we focus on is the point. And there is only one name under heaven who is worthy of our undivided love, Jesus Christ. So let's look at how Paul endured such unspeakable hardships, 
always keeping in mind the why. In the letters to the Corinthians, Paul gets very real and personal. Ken Bailey calls it a long and sobering catalog of powerlessness. Paul was proclaiming the God who entered history, beginning with a lowly birth and ending on a cross. Underlying much of 2 Corinthians is the fact that false teachers had mounted significant opposition to Paul's ministry. These opponents had treated Paul as an imposter and questioned his authority. Instead of triumph, Paul was continually suffering and persecuted. Would a triumphant God allow this to happen to a true apostle? In 2 Corinthians, Paul defends himself against these attacks. The powerful catalog of Paul's troubles is sandwiched between Isaiah's affirmation of a day of salvation that our Paul spoke about last Sunday and the appeal for God's people to separate from idols because Paul knew that allegiance to the one true God will mean persecution from the surrounding world. We saw this firsthand in Morocco. For some of our Moroccan friends, allegiance to Christ meant offending the regime and came with a heavy price. We witnessed all kinds of sufferings on the mission field, some as a result of our witness for Christ, ridicule, jail, expulsion, some as part of simply living, theft, accidents, loss, and some self-inflicted. The distinction is not always obvious. Our four boys were born and grew up in Morocco and attended the local Moroccan school. When Brian, who was the only foreigner in a class of Muslim kids, was eight years old, I told him one day, Brian, your teacher complained about your behavior today. Brian broke out in tears and indignantly lamented. It's the other kid's fault. They always make me talk and tattle on me. Then he added in dramatic fashion, and all this just because I'm a Christian. I did not fall for that one. This, by the way, is the same kid that told his teacher when he had to stay home because of an earache, when she asked why he didn't come, he said that he went to Casablanca. I confronted Brian and said, why did you tell your teacher you went to Casablanca? Why did you lie? Brian said, I didn't know how to say earache in Arabic. I only knew how to say Casablanca. I had my hands full, as you can tell. Paul's experiences seem horrendous, unfair, painful. Yet Paul seems to list them more as his credentials, as marks of authentic ministry. This is the same man that said, may I never boast except in the cross of Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Yet we, 
often see hardships as negative, something to be avoided at all cost, maybe even as a punishment from God. Our short-sighted worldview is often diametrically opposed to God's. In his perfect plan, he works all things together for good. Joseph told his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to save many lives. Can we trust him with our suffering, even when we don't understand? Daniel's friends boldly declare to the Babylonian king, the God we serve is able to save us from the blazing furnace, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods. Single-minded devotion. Let's take a closer look at this infamous list. We read of outer struggles, hunger, imprisonment, beatings, but also of inner struggles, dishonor, sorrow, slander. Paul first lets the Corinthians know that he has not thrown any roadblocks in the way of their faith that would cause them to stumble or would discredit the message. This is especially important in a cross-cultural context. Yes, the gospel is offensive to many, but let's confine our offenses to the message. This means simple things like dressing modestly in a Muslim culture, respecting gender segregation, or not eating pork. Sometimes the hardest things to lay down for the sake of others is our rights. But love limits itself for others. Let me say that again. Love limits itself for others. As Paul recounts his sufferings, he reminds the Corinthians that he experienced them because he was faithfully serving the Lord who loved them. His way of life was proof that he represented the crucified and risen Christ. How did Paul endure? First of all, he makes it clear that he is a servant, not serving himself, but his beloved master. For him, he endured greatly. Then Paul gives us a glimpse at his toolbox, sourced from the Holy Spirit within him, a model of Christ-like character amid negative circumstances. Great endurance. The Greek word hupamone is not passive waiting, but it's staying at your post when things get tough, pushing forward, leaning into the storm. The word long-suffering applies especially to difficult people. It means having a long fuse with others. Kindness, which is grace in action. A sweetness of attitude. 
limiting oneself for the sake of others. Sincere, self-giving love that seeks the well-being of others. Being truthful, not fighting in his own strength, but with spiritual weapons, relying on the power of God. A.W. Tozer said, the spiritual life is not a playground, it's a battleground. We need to remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil, and therefore to put on the full armor of God. In verses 8 to 10, Paul contrasts paradoxes of the Christian life, strength through weakness, comfort through suffering, glory through shame, honest, yet said to be dishonest, genuine, yet regarded as impostors. To be discredited is hard. During our expulsion, it was extremely difficult to hear us Christians portrayed in the Moroccan media as dishonest impostors luring Moroccans away from Islam by bribing them with promises of money, jobs, and passports. It hurts to be slandered and maligned. But thankfully, our lives are not judged by human judgment. And because of that, our response through the power of the Holy Spirit can be one of love, grace, and forgiveness. I want to pay special attention to verse 10. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. I love how Paul is not denying reality. We need to be honest about our pain, disappointment, unanswered prayer. The secret is not in denying or numbing our pain, but to view it through God's eyes and respond in God's strength. Paul says that even though he experiences sorrow, he finds deep joy. He encourages us to rejoice always, to give thanks in all circumstances. I have personally always found worship a great way of refocusing on Christ when my mind is floating towards negativity, anxiety, or fear. Poor, yet making many rich. We need to do some serious rethinking about the meaning of wealth. True wealth is not found in worldly possessions, as our consumerist society would like us to believe and as many a rich person would testify to. But being rich toward God. Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that through his poverty we become rich. Paul, even though he suffered so much, reminded us our God will meet all our needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ. Can we trust God to provide for us?
and then steward our gifts with integrity. It's the self-indulgent pursuit of wealth that is the root of all kinds of evil. We can't serve two masters. Choose your master well. I want to pull out three principles we can learn from this passage and from Paul's radical life in general. Number one, calling involves suffering. Paul was promised suffering. The Lord said about Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul obeyed this difficult calling and this meant suffering and opposition. Just like his master, Jesus, who said that the world would hate his followers as they hated him. A servant is not greater than his master. We like to leave that piece out. To some degree, we will suffer if we follow a crucified Messiah. We will inevitably go against the flow and challenge the status quo. The gospel causes opposition, a clashing of two opposed worlds as it expo uh, exposes darkness to the light. Tolerating this much suffering makes no sense unless there is something or someone worth more, worth it all. Paul said, for Christ's sake, I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. I feel this battle, this clash between forces, also in my inner world, and I suspect you do too. At times when I'm treated unfairly, I want to be petty and vindictive, but Christ calls me to forgiveness. I want to be first, but Christ calls me to be last. I want to take credit but Christ calls me to elevate others. I want to give up, but Christ calls me to trust him in the dark. I want to despair, but Christ lifts my chin and gently turns my eyes to the cross. Amy Carmichael, a British missionary to India for 55 years, wrote in a riveting poem, No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far, who has no wound or scar? Are we willing to be wounded for Christ? Are we willing to be uncomfortable 
inconvenienced, mocked, called crazy, shamed and ostracized. The power of the gospel comes not from those who proclaim it, but from God himself. We are just earthen vessels, fragile jars of clay, holding the most precious treasure, showing that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So Paul is not discouraged by evidence of his own weakness because it is God who gives power to his message. His ill treatment just confirms his call. Paul follows in the footsteps of many of God's people in the Old Testament, and many followed after him until this very day. Open Door reports that around the world, hundreds of millions of Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution for following Jesus, from discrimination and harassment to arrests, attacks, torture, and death. And yet, Paul proclaims in Romans, nothing, absolutely nothing, neither death nor life nor powers nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God. Calling involves suffering. Number two, God equips us for where he sends us. God does not call the qualified but he qualifies the called. Paul ministers from a position of powerlessness, being empowered supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. Paul relied on God's power and his limitless resources, using God's weapons, not man's. Our inadequacy drives us to deep dependence on God. After our expulsion from Morocco, we wondered how we would furnish a rental home in Vancouver for our family of six. Out of the blue, we received a call from a friend of a friend. She matter-of-factly stated, my dad needs to move into a care home and he wants you to have all his furniture. In one phone call, weeks of worry were obliterated. And to this day, I often smile when I look at the beautiful antique furniture that had dropped from heaven at a time of need, thanking God for his surprising, bountiful gifts, both materially and spiritually. Will you trust him to come through? I'm still astonished that as a young adult, I trudged off to an unknown country I could not have located on a map, armed only with a backpack and a fire in my soul for Jesus, to share him with those who had not heard the best news ever. I was ill-equipped, unprepared, disappointing my father who felt I was throwing away my life and my career, scaring my mother to distraction, but oh, how I loved Jesus. One of my favorite memories of Morocco is an incident that was so vividly, that so vividly illustrated God's tender care for us. It was one of those times when I was highly pregnant, 
which seemed to happen to me quite frequently, that I tried to catch a taxi. Taxis uh, in Morocco were old discarded cars from Europe, and they would fill them up with six passengers plus the driver, all without seatbelt. The taxi would not move until it was filled to capacity. I tried valiantly, as valiantly as a duck that had swallowed a watermelon can, to grab an empty seat to no avail. I was outperformed by younger and slimmer Moroccans. Close to tears, the sea of people suddenly, uh, suddenly parted and people started flying left and right. Strong black arms like tree trunks proceeded to pull unsuspecting passengers from the taxi and then gently seated me in the middle of the now suspiciously empty backseat. It was Abdurrahman, our massive, gentle bodybuilder neighbor who had spotted me and had accurately discerned my dilemma. God provides in huge ways. And number three, what matters is our focus, not the circumstances. We are a distracted generation suffering from information overload. We are bombarded with slick advertising, generating consumer discontent. Our monkey brains get frazzled and pulled in a thousand directions. We lose our focus with a buzz from a phone. A crucial lesson I learned from my very short, and I mean a very short, ballet stint was the way to do pirouettes without falling over. The secret is to fix your eyes firmly on one point as you spin. To stay rooted and firm when the world swirls around us, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Paul had his eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. He was radically devoted to one master. It was Christ's love that compelled him, as our Paul shared with us last Sunday. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can't choose what happens to us, but we can choose our response. Whatever the circumstances, we have a choice. We can always choose joy and thanksgiving, praising God in the midst of trials.
Paul said in Philippians, I have learned to be content no matter what. In my work with seniors, I hear many stories of broken relationships, dysfunctional families, injustices, and abuse. Some still carry the heavy load of bitterness and shame around in their 80s. But others have chosen to forgive and let their mess become their message and their failures their fuel. Our Moroccan friend Mohammed, who suffered abuse and imprisonment, told the police, you know what? You have a real problem with us. Because if you let us walk around freely in the street, we will preach the gospel. If you arrest us and throw us in jail, we will preach to the prisoners. And if you kill us, we will go straight into our lover's arms. You got a real problem with us. What about you? How is God speaking to you today through his word? What is your response? Is God calling you? Jesus never said it will be easy, but would require sacrifice and radical devotion to him. Where is he sending you to tell of the redeeming love of Christ? It looks different from each one, for each one of us. Are you, am I, listening? Crossing the sea does not make you a missionary, but seeing the cross. Have we forgotten our suffering brothers and sisters? Will you inform yourself and intercede for them? Are you discouraged by setbacks, failures, hardships, illness maybe, repercussions from the global pandemic? Amid your difficulties, will you pray, thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to trust you more. Surprise me with your grace. In my sorrow, fill me with your joy. Is there someone listening today who needs to turn his or her eyes for the very first time to Jesus? Today is the day of salvation. Jesus calls you, come. Personally, I'm still praying for my brother Heinz to discover the greatest treasure of all, the creator of perfect music. Jesus, who suffered the ultimate price for our rescue, is worthy of our wholehearted gratitude and worthy of our fiercest devotion. He is worth it all. Amen.